Long before Tom Laird completed my life as an internet broadcaster on libertarian topics, I was invited to participate on a show called Freedom Philosophy TV with a friend, John Coleman. We talked about healthcare. Tom and I have since done another show on healthcare with Colin Gunn called What's Wrong with the NHS? But I think this is also a good show and I'm including it as episode 60 of the Scottish Liberty Podcast. Hello, Anthony, and welcome back to Freedom Philosophy TV. Hello, thank you for having me on your show. Today we're going to be talking about uh, healthcare, or what we call healthcare, and uh, I think we're going to be deconstructing that a little bit and presenting something a little bit more uh, rational. Um, but first, I just want to talk about trends in disease, um, what we've got in the UK, and I think this is this is a fairly uh, global phenomena for societies that have become very westernized and, and have well-developed economies. Um, because people are having less children, there's basically an aging population. There's these baby boomers as well. Uh, and they're not well people. Um, they've, they've got... Uh, these degenerative diseases and the size of the size of or proportion of that population that will have uh, two or more degenerative diseases is rapidly increasing and the size of the population who are uh, in productive work and, and able to to provide the resources to care for this uh, increasingly ill population is on on the decline um, so there's a real uh, financial problem with the, uh, the welfare system um, when it comes to healthcare. Uh, so what we're, we're going to talk about today is, is some potential uh, solutions to this or different approaches um, and uh, just go through them and, and hopefully uh, get some clarity. So um, you mentioned the uh, US model versus the UK model. Uh, could, you, could you elaborate a little bit on that uh, dichotomy? What, what's, the, what's the difference? Well, it, there's perceived to be a dichotomy in the idea that America's healthcare system is very free market and that UK's health system is very um, public. Um, obviously, neither of those are essentially true. In America, the American Medical Association's Council on Medical Education was founded in 1904 and immediately cut, closed down 25 medical schools uh, and then another 10 medical schools in the next three years. Uh, so that was 35 medical schools in six years, I believe. And, you know, uh, everyone wants to be a doctor, but because of the prestige of being a doctor, but there's high turnaway rates at all the medical colleges, which are actually based on school grades rather than the skills that are necessary to perform well as a doctor. So, you know, we all understand supply and demand. If you limit supply of healthcare, then the price of healthcare goes up. And that's only some. Some of the ways that the state intervenes in healthcare in the United States, there's lots of subsidization through Medicare and Medicaid. And when they last increased 
that um, ser service that was in intended to make healthcare affordable to poor and elderly people. In short order, the, over 10 years or so, the price of medical care in the US tripled. So a lot of state intervention and the healthcare system in the US. Another thing is we have these insurance companies and you know, with good reason, people are worried about insurance companies providing healthcare, but the regulatory system is a state apparatus. It's not a free market apparatus. So when these abuses that um, happen with these insurance companies in the United States, it's really the state that's responsible for regulating them. And it does so in such a way that it makes it very hard for them to um, provide affordable service. For example, if someone's already got a pre-existing condition and they go to an insurance company, the law says that the insurance company has to take them on anyway. Now, that's just like actually asking for fire insurance after your house is already burnt down. People will start saying this sounds like a very incompassionate way of looking at healthcare, but I think by the end of this, understand that our models for healthcare are extraordinarily compassionate, and we actually really do care about people and want them to want to see them getting better care. Obviously, the problem with getting fire insurance after your house is burned down is the insurance company has to anticipate the cost of that and pass it on to their customers, which is one of the reasons why healthcare insurance is so expensive in the United States. It's also a highly regulated industry. And if you, we know anything about history, actually the way to make products very cheap and affordable is to make them so abundant that they become cheap. This is why we all have laptops and things like that, because a computer used to be something that only very, very rich people could afford. Now everyone has a phone, and often most people have a smartphone that can do things that um, the people who landed on the moon, they could have even dreamed of having technology that good to land on the, the moon as what you have on your smartphone. You know, so what we really want is a lot of people in the market. We don't want highly regulated markets that favor established hospitals, established pharmaceutical companies, established everything. We need to have lots of healthcare provision. Um, you know, it takes seven years to train to be a doctor, but does everything a doctor do need seven years? Probably not. People who have studied seven years to be a doctor should be doing expert tasks and there should be graded systems, not what we call in economics barriers to entry, which stop people from going into the industry. We are told every year here in the UK that, um, oh, we're treating more patients than ever before. As far as I'm concerned, that's a disaster. In a universal healthcare system, we'd find that we were treating less patients and less patients because everyone was getting more and more healthy. What we have is a medical system of sickness, both in the US and the UK. The only thing that's remunerated is being sick. You pay for an operation when you're sick, or the government pays for an operation when you're sick. If you go to the doctor saying, I'm just coming in for a checkup every month, 
you know, he might think you're some kind of hypochondriac. So, first of all, it's not healthcare. It's a system of sickness. The only thing that's remunerated is sickness, and that's true both here and in the United States. Second of all, it's not universal. If you look at actually what's going on, it's rationing. Some people get services and some people don't. There's long waiting lists. People can go into A&E with an appendix that's about to burst and end up waiting overnight or God knows how long before they actually get a bed. So it's not universal. And third of all, it's not free. Neither in the United States nor here is it free. It actually comes at a very, very high cost because um, market forces aren't at work. If you look at something like laser eye surgery, which is in the private sector, when it first came about, it was very exclusive. Only very rich people could afford it. Now it's cheap. Now most people in this country could save up and get laser eye surgery. We know very similar for plastic surgery, which has had knock-on effects on corrective plastic surgery. It's become much cheaper. There's no reason why the government should be spending more and more on healthcare every year. In a sane system, the, tech, the price of all the technology will come down and people will be getting more healthy. So the government will need to spend less money on healthcare. People bristle at the idea of a private system, but it doesn't all need to be private. You know, cooperatives can step in, charities can step in, non-profit organizations can step in, um, uh, volunteering can step in. What we actually have a choice between is whether people want excellent healthcare that's affordable to most people, and when it's not affordable to people, benevolence and philanthropy can step in, or they want free at the point of entry healthcare, which is not actually free, it's not universal, it's not healthcare, and it's extraordinarily costly. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to actually introduce a little bit of an anecdote here. Um, I don't want to go too far into these kind of anecdotes, but um, like if you if you're a, like a working professional or, or a working person in the UK, um, I think the national insurance uh, contribution, or they call it a contribution, that it's a, it's of course is an extortive uh, tax. It takes about ten percent of your salary. So if you're actually a relatively well person like myself, um, you know, over the course of your working life, you would have had literally tens and tens of thousands of pounds uh, taken from you. Um, and you'll, you'll get potentially no return on, on your investment. That will be spent on other people who perhaps haven't taken as good care of their health or, or just you know, had something unfortunate wrong with them. Um, and then when you get something wrong, if it happens to be one of those conditions that is rationed, so as say certain types of cancer, or uh, in my in my case, um, I might want to I might need some special dental care or something like that, uh, then that that money is no longer available for me, my my own money to spend uh, on the condition that I actually have, because perhaps it falls outside of the. Uh, parameters uh, that the state consider essential or high priority uh, for care um, and occasionally you do see things in the newspapers about this um, but in particular like in the UK uh, a lot of dentistry is, is no longer covered 
by the NHS. So just to reinforce really your point that it isn't universal healthcare um, and it does have to be rationed. And there's, there's still, as far as I'm concerned, a great deal of injustice in the system. Well, people consider justice to be that everyone gets access to the point of entry. So supposing you are a vegan, you happen to be a vegan, but supposing someone is a vegan and they take lots of exercise and, you know, they don't drink, they don't smoke, and they, and they get lots of fresh air, they buy a sophisticated water filtration system so that their water is nice and clear and pure. Now, on the other hand, you have someone who has bacon for, for breakfast. When they go to work, they go across the road to lunch at McDonald's every day. They like to get really drunk at the weekends. They smoke 40 a day. Where is the justice in this person being able to tax the vegan to pay for his heart surgery? Now, I don't mean to be incompassionate here, because on the other side of the spectrum, where's the incentive for this um, unhealthy person, this person who lives an unhealthy lifestyle, to take care of themselves? What would exist, hopefully, in a private system that's not modeled on the American model, which, as I've discussed, isn't really private, is this person would have health insurance. Now, just before there was any government intervention in the medical field, in the United States, there were friendly societies where people grouped together to provide health insurance for one another, and you could get a year's worth of health care for two, wage, two days' wages as a laborer. So we're not talking about the cost of health care in the U.S. now. It might be slightly higher because of the technology involved, but we're talking about something that's affordable to everyone. Well, of course. If you're in that state, if you're, if you're getting into preventative medicine, um, which is where the free market would, would take people, uh, the, 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 you just wouldn't need a lot of this technology anyway. Um, that, that would be uh, the amount of it that a hospital would need to, to treat the, what would become exceptional cases would be quite small. Um, at the moment, what it is, is, is that lots of people are exceptionally unwell. Um, they, they have heart disease, uh, cancer, uh, diabetes, and, and this affects a huge uh, proportion of, of modern populations. And they all need uh, this, this quite intensive and invasive health care and, and uh, drug regimes and so forth. So it, it, it's very high uh, maintenance costs and technical investment. Um, and of course, these, because these, a lot of these diseases are quite intractable as well, because basically the allopathic model can't fix them. Uh, then there's also huge sums being spent on research and the technology associated with that to, to try and fix the problem, which fundamentally, in many cases, uh, needn't be there.
Right, right, because a lot of it is based on lifestyle choice. So supposing you had this friendly society or your insurance cooperative or your private health care or, you know, what, whatever you choose, we're not blocking anything out of the out of the universal model that I'd like to talk about. You, know, you don't have to go to a private organization. You could go to one that's not for profit. Whatever you have, they're going to phone you up if you've got a healthy lifestyle. Either they're going to raise your premium or they're going to say, you know, look, we're really worried about you. If you have a heart attack, they need to pay however much it costs, 10,000 pounds for your operation. So they've got an incentive to give you a free helpline, free access to counseling if you're, you know, problem, if you've got problematic habits for psychological reasons. It's cheaper for them to give you a bunch of cheap preventable than to pay for you being ill. Right now, everything's upside down because the system is remunerated for you being sick. In any sane society, the system will be remunerated for you being well. And we all know this. If you, if, if you, if you had a financial advisor, you'd want to make sure your financial advisor was making more money when you were making money and less money when you were making less money. We want the same with healthcare. And that would be extraordinarily compassionate because no one knows what the solution is. But if you have a healthcare system where there's an incentive structure that uh, remunerates health, you'll start having all the greatest minds in healthcare um, being in trial and error with each other, comparing the results to one another to come up with the best solutions. We need to put those incentive structures in place so that it's health that's remunerated rather than sickness and cheap, affordable solutions will follow through the wonderful trial and error of the free market. Right now, the government says, here's how we're going to do it, boys. And any officiation of the system um, is slow grinding process. In the meantime, after hundreds of billions have been spent on the fight against cancer, today more people contract cancer than ever before. And if you do contract it, you have the same percentage of dying as you did in the 70s. More people have diabetes, more people have heart disease, heart attacks, strokes, more people have multiple sclerosis, lupus, asthma, migraines, more people have degenerative conditions like Alzheimer's. So something's gone wrong here. And what we need to do is take a look at the incentive structures implicit in the system and look at how we can create a system that is, that is healthcare rather than sick care, is universal because everyone has access to it, even if it's not for free, everyone has access to it because it's exceedingly cheap and where people don't have access, they can get put on a payment plan or go for charity and you know, it's um, uh, that, that, that's what we, that's what we're looking at, really. Yeah, I'm, and also, uh, and I think this is particularly true. Before there was was uh, national health care, doctors or some doctors, or perhaps even many doctors, would offer um, free uh, sort of work for very poor people who couldn't afford. Um, to pay for it so you know they might go to uh, sort of a 
a poor clinic um, in some area and just just treat people for free and you know I kind of like the integrity of that because if, if you think healthcare should be free then you should give it for free um, yeah that's great and yeah also uh, um, there's the opportunity cost as well there's, there's first of all there's a great deal of money that that's going into uh, this huge uh, sickness care industry and and the uh, pharmaceutical drug industry that money could have been spent uh, on really enriching people's lives and, and making them more uh, pleasant and positive in other ways uh, if they as if you know if they weren't ill um, and also just just being well in its own right uh, is is uh, a terrific advantage in terms of, of productivity and and satisfaction with life so there's you know it's just winning all round to have preventative medicine and, and to focus on that if that isn't uh, is preventive that's right preventative medicine actually sounds like an oxymoron to me but um, yeah. well here's the thing you know on a free market you know most people here in this country believe that people should have access to health care if they need it, um, even for free. On a free market, that's called a demand. Mm. If people want that, then that's a demand. So people have displayed that they're willing to pay for it by voting it in through the tax system, which is very encouraging in terms of where we stand because that costs a lot of money. I reckon on a free market, expenditure on healthcare would be a fraction you know maybe 10% of what we have to spend now maybe 5% of what we have to spend now and I do believe that the quality of service would be a lot better you mentioned a lot of money is on research because of the nature of the system the research is on treating illness treating illness that's because treating illness is what gets remunerated in this system. Yeah. If what was being remunerated in this system was health, then most of the research would be on optimal health. Now, once you have that research going on in optimal health, very soon people know how to create, how to assess any human being in all the ways necessary and give them a tailored plan for how they could optimize their own health because that's what the experts in the field would largely be doing. Then you give them a premium based on how well they follow the plan. Yes, exactly. And, you know, this could be ex exceedingly cheap, actually. You know, maybe if they follow the plan, they only have to pay £20 a month, okay? I don't know anyone who can't borrow £20 a month if, if, if they can't pay for that. If they deviate from the plan, then, you know, the premiums start going up. But at the same time, because the organization doesn't want them to be ill, because if they get ill, they have to pay out more money. As I said, they could start providing them free monthly checkups. Maybe that's part of their plan. Maybe the plan says, we will provide you with free monthly checkups. If you don't attend a checkup, you'll have to pay an extra £20 for that month or something like that or, you know, whatever. 
start giving people the incentives to take care of their health and we will see a thriving community. As you said, there's an opportunity cost. All these resources that are being spent on healthcare set services, they could be spent on people eating better, people have, you know, having nicer things in their house. You know, you just need to go to the supermarket and see how expensive fruit and vegetables, which are the building blocks of health, are compared to confectionery. The price of confectionery has gone down and down and down, and the price of um, fruit and vegetable, which are the building blocks of health, has gone up and up and up. Yeah, well, I think there's a and, problem with the fruit and veg. Um, as far as I understand it, a lot of it used to be picked uh, by uh, low-wage um, immigrant labour that would, would come into the country uh, uh, during the sort of harvesting season and pick it. And, and then with the introduction and increases in minimum wage, that practice has become less economically viable. And, and so the, the costs of um, uh, production for fruit and vegetables have, have instead of declining, have, have risen. Um, and, and of course, that's going to have knock-on effects uh, for people that are um, on the borderlines of being able to afford a healthy diet. To ha even, you know, even slight increases in price will push them below and into unhealthier uh, diets. And, and then, of course, there's all the increasing in cost of the healthcare that, that follows from that. So it, it's a complete um, malinvestment, basically. And again, of course, it's, a, it's an attempt to to regulate the free market that just, just, just backfires. As it so often does. I mean, you know, I mentioned before in one of our shows that the, the, it costs, it takes seven times as much grain to produce um, a kilogram of beef. So why isn't um, beef seven times as expensive as grain? Yeah. Well, because there's massive subsidies for meat and dairy farmers. The, health, the consensus on health about dairy, you know, they used to say that dairy was good for you and things like that. That's generally not acknowledged in health anymore. People think that dairy is very, very bad for you. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that, I, I personally am a vegetarian, you're a vegan. I'm not saying that, you know, people eating no meat, um, sorry, eating any meat is going to kill them or anything. What we do know is that most people in this country eat far too much meat. 24 of the 25 leading causes of illness, causes of death, 24 out of the 25 leading causes of death, you are more likely to suffer from those illnesses if you're a meat eater. And 12 of them can be treated by a plant-based diet. That means if people have them already, if they switch to a plant-based diet, which means not just eating chips and you know all yeah. sorts of unhealthy food and bread and things like that, but actually eating proper plant-based diet, they can actually seriously lower their symptoms. So by subsidizing the meat, we have people eating far too much meat and dairy. You know, in the old days, you know, maybe when my grandmother was alive, you know, they may have chicken once a week. Fine. 
people are eating too much of unhealthy foods and as you've illustrated and I've illustrated that's encouraged by government subsidies to the farmer yeah. so when the people think that we live in a capitalistic society and oh it's all free market causing all these problems but if you look at any sector of the society People could come to us with any sector of the society, and I'm sure if you, you and I could point out half a dozen ways that the government has intervened in the market, not to make things better, but to make things worse. I mean, I don't agree in any government intervention in the market. That might make me an extremist, but I would just say that makes me a principal person but if they were going to do something like that you know maybe they could tax confectionery and meat and put a subsidy on fruit but then five years later you and I would be having a conversation on this show saying you know the government tried to do a good thing which was to tax sugar and subsidize fruit and all the unintended consequences have been this environmental disaster that in every case, I'm sure, no matter how the government intervened in the market, there would be some unintended consequences that you and I could have a show saying, oh, I wish they had intervened in the free market because it's created an environmental disaster or a health disaster or an unemployment disaster. The wonderful thing about the free market is it's a self optimizing system yeah. people can look at what's in place and look for a way to improve it and come in and provide a better service and then people go to that service and then if there's a problem with that someone can look at that and say oh look no one's seen that this is causing this problem well we can create a product that's even better than that itself optimizes itself over time you get none of that when the government comes in and says here boys Let's run it this way. Well let's, well, let's talk a bit about what we do get and what we have. Um, yeah, there's something quite interesting that I hear Stefan Molyneux speak about in his programs about uh, uh, sort of socially uh, funded programs. And it's, it's something like this. Basically, if you start talking about challenging um, the, the, the privilege of, of uh, the medical cartels and, and the... Uh, you know the doctors, the nurses, and the the pharmaceutical drug industry. If you if you challenge that, um, basically they they're going to face consequences of of losing a fortune, losing a lot of money, and seeing their market dry up. Um, so and you know that means uh, doctors' uh, salaries are going to fall. Uh, potentially, nurses' salaries might fall. I mean, I don't. No, we don't know. Perhaps they might actually go up, but there would just be fewer doctors and nurses. Um, it would just be a structurally different market. Um, but undoubtedly, there'd be a lot less drugs uh, sold. So that's going to have a very severe ramification uh, for those uh, sectors of the market that are currently privileged by, by, by state uh, protection, essentially. Um, whereas... Uh, the taxpayer is really only seeing, um, you know, a few pounds a, year, a month taking off, taken away from their uh, income. So the, the, there's a there's an imbalance of incentives there. It, it, it's like the, um, uh, the the tiger chasing the deer. Uh, the tiger is is running for its um, dinner, and the deer is running for its life. And uh, you know, in this case, uh, you can see that. Um, 
the people involved in the healthcare industry are not quite running for their lives, um, but they've got a lot more invested in in manipulating and controlling the market than somebody who's like, well, okay, I'm 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 losing a hundred or two hundred pounds a month, whereas in the, in a private healthcare system, I might just lose fifty pounds a month or, or twenty or something. So that there's, there's this disparity of, uh, extreme disparity of incentives uh, that the government creates in the market. And it's very difficult to resolve that. I, I, you know, I, I can't see how, do, how we step up to, the, to, you know, it's like we just need to take responsibility for ourselves to change, change this around. Um, have you got any ideas about that? Yeah, well, I mean, that's quite a profound, um, point like how do we turn the tide on this mm. a, a couple of things have been in the media about um there's a there's a article called labor's uh, private hospital stitch up um where they exposed how you know they tried to privatize the management of an nhs hospital and they did so well the hospital did so well, um, you know, even down to little things like getting furniture from Argos instead of wherever they were getting it before, and they saved so much money doing so that they could then channel to helping patients. But they went and did an, an investigation, and the people who did the investigation were... Um, Part, had close ties to the Labour Party and unions which oppose NHS privatisation and they basically did a stitch-up job where they tried to make it look like this hospital was performing exceedingly badly when it was ex right. performing exceedingly well. Um, you can check out the article yourself, it's very long and so can your listeners. So every now and then something comes in the media and points to the fact that um, our national health service isn't what it seems. Everyone, it sounds like a great idea, you know, it's compassionate, everyone gets health, access to healthcare, until you start speaking to people who've gone in there, and you said, you know, the medical, the people in the profession are incentivized to protect this. I would just like to qualify that, you know, I think there's a lot of doctors and surgeons, I would say the vast majority in there who are doing a good job based on what they've been taught. But they've been taught the mainstream medical paradigm, which is all about treatment. It's not about prevention. You know, that, that's, what they're, that's what they're trained to do. And I've heard people go in there who are very in favor of the NHS coming out saying, I cannot believe that's what people are fighting to defend. And it's sad. It's so, so sad because they feel a betrayal of them personally. That they were, you know, you know, they were so in favor of this and they went in and, you know, they had a condition that could turn critical at any point and they had to wait days to get a bed. So I think that the people in there are well-intentioned. I'm not sure about the big pharmaceutical companies and the people who sell all the kidney dialysis machines and things like that. You know, they've got a lot of vested interest in keeping things as a medical um, service of sickness rather than health. But to answer your question of how we turn the tide, you know, we have to start with this podcast. The level of education 
for alternatives is very poor. You know, I've gone around and, and had a bit of a look and there's a couple of things on the internet, but so, someone will, you know, need to take the points that we've made and do another podcast um, that includes another 10 points that we didn't think of and send it to us and educate us and let's start having a free market of information. In the meantime, you know, people need to step up and realize that um, just because it's if it's free at the point of entry doesn't mean it, it's, it's free. And, you know, if you take that attitude and don't take care of your health, then it's not going to be free because you're going to pay in terms of your quality of life. So start um, adopting a healthier lifestyle. And, um, you know, I just see a, um, a possibility where practitioners are paid for maintaining the health of a reasonable number of clients. Now, whether if they do a good job, whether they, they, they get paid every month, and if they get do a good job, then they can take on more clients. Whereas if they do a bad job, then they can only business. Yeah, they can only see so many people at a time because their their clients are constantly calling them. I'm ill. I've got this. Another insane thing in the incentive structure I forgot to mention before is every medication has side effects Correct. and then you get medication to medicate your side effects and because we have a system of sickness not a system of health there is no need for health practitioners to really look at whether it's herbal or it's pharmaceutical whether it's allopathic or whether it's alternative, what is the best treatment that creates the least amount of side effects? Because if that enters a spiral in treating the side effects, that's more money for pharmaceutical com companies. They love that. Let's sell you a pill for your effects and then let's sell you a pill for your side effects and then the side effects to the side effects. That's good. We actually need to be looking at a system that would remunerate health and just start having conversations with people and telling people that it's possible, you know, it's possible to create a system of health and sickness. And even if people hate privatization, you could still do this in a status system. You could still get the government to start looking at paying practitioners, yeah. you know, that's not an ideal solution, but it's a step in the right direction. I agree. I think I'm a little bit more skeptical about the good intentions of, of the, uh, of the sickness care profession. Um, you was, I think you mentioned the AMA at the beginning of, of, of the show. And, um, you know, this, this is basically a, a industrial lobby, um, just a, just a more uh, upmarket, if you like, uh, union to protect the interests of doctors. Um, and obviously, you know, if, if 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 doctors were just pure and well intentioned, they they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, be going to to uh, create these uh, essentially cartels to protect their their business and and to uh, r raise the costs of becoming a doctor and so forth. Uh, and it's similar with with I think with the nurses uh, in the NHS um, creating these these huge unions that uh, in turn fund uh, the Labour Party and, and the, the big welfare parties, uh, which is essentially just cronyism. I mean, it's no different from the pharmaceuticals 
uh, protecting their turf um, by paying off politicians and you know buying them uh, nice meals out with representatives and so on and so forth. It, it's exactly the same in principle. Um, and yeah, I, I just wanted to point out that I don't think the the, the healthcare workers have a, have a, a squeaky clean and, and completely moral and above board position. I think there's there's uh, there's cronyism there, and I think it's important to to point that out. Yes, um, very possibly, and you know you, you can only look at people in a in a case by case basis. Sure. I think the real problem here is the religion, the, the ideology behind the NHS, which is stuff like what I talked about in that um, in that um, article, um, Labour's private hospitals stitch up shocking evidence of how the left sabotaged NHS success story. Mm. There's this ideology of public. It's not public. Nothing is owned by the public. There's no such thing. Either you have control over property or you don't and certain people have control over the property it doesn't belong to you just because the government says it does um, there's this there's this religion and it's immune in many people to being challenged it's just a principle oh nhs it should be free for everyone and they care more about that ideology than people's lives yeah and you can chuck all sorts of arguments at them and they just don't care they just don't care or it's an ideology but the thing is it needs to be done enough times that it's acceptable because you do not you do not change someone's mind in one conversation and you do not usually change people's minds what uh, you change the minds of a community one-to-one -one, people tend to be a lot more open-minded than in groups sure. and you need to have conversations with people and their other friends need to have conversations with them so that this view becomes an acceptable view because right now you don't care. You don't believe in NHS. People think you're heartless. Yeah, that's you know, right. I, I, yeah. I, I've got a clean conscience because I've dedicated my adult life to trying to find the best ways to help other people. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm I'm not a heartless person. I care about people getting access to high quality healthcare and being healthy. But if you say you care about the poor and you care about health, then you're going to look at the real world evidence yeah. of what creates health and what creates affordable health care. Not put your ideology of NHS above people's health care. And I think that's what people do. They put their ideology above the real world evidence of what actually creates Good health, and I suggest that anyone Google an article called "How the Government Solved the Healthcare Crisis" yeah, for an analysis. Yeah, for analysis of how the government stepped in and made the provision of healthcare much more expensive. Yeah. So, um, it's a great story. So, that. I, I wanted to talk a little bit here um, and, and be a bit topical as well. To talk about the Baltimore uh riots and what's going on over there and I, i've been reading some articles recently about um baltimore 
And of course, it's a, it's a liberal stronghold and uh, has a very welfare-focused uh, policy, basically, to, to, to um, supposedly help the underprivileged classes. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that after, I think, nearly five decades of welfareist intervention, they have some of the worst educational standards and some of the worst health outcomes uh, for any Americans. And, and even and, and in terms of employment as, as well, I mean, they're worse than places in developing economies. I mean, they're shockingly bad uh, outcomes for people. And, and yet they have uh, a very high degree of, of public intervention or, or socialization uh, going on and, and millions of dollars poured in to try and improve the situation and and yet it just gets worse and worse and this is just what we're seeing in the UK as well with our healthcare. it just more and more people are ill and like like you say um, yeah it people are wedded to the ideology and not to, the, to what the data is showing them. Yeah, yes, that's correct. And I'd just like this to be a resource for waking people up a bit and just showing them an alternative. You don't have to agree with everything we've said, but it should open you up to looking into it more. And you know, if you know, if you see this, share it with your lefty friends. Share it with your friends who. Are um, in, in the mainstream and get a discussion going with them. Even if you completely disagree with everything I've said, send it to your friends and ask them to give you more fuel to disagree with it and you know, leave them in comments so that we can see where people who support the NHS are coming from you know, and get a dialogue going. It's not the end of the conversation. Mm. Get a dialogue going. Let's put our heads together because, you know, if you disagree with what John and I have said, then you can give us more information and we can yeah. process that and, you know, learn from that and come back to you with a response. And, you know, if, if someone's watching this and thinks they could do a better job, a better deconstruction of health, of this so-called uh, free universal health, Care, which is not free, it's not universal, and it's not healthcare. Please, you know, put another video out uh, that's even better than this one and educate people because there needs to be a good resource on YouTube that when anyone is supporting the NHS, there needs to be a good resource on YouTube that when anyone is coming out in favor of the status quo, people can say, check out this video it's an hour long it compiles good arguments I think this one might be one of the leading resources on that topic at the moment if someone can create a better one then fantastic you know this needs to be an ongoing dialogue we need to give people hope it's not about just speaking about how terrible the present system is it's about talking about how much better a system we can create yeah yeah I agree um, I, th I think one of the things that that comes up for me quite a bit is is you know even to dare to challenge the ideology uh, you, you face the flamers and the trolls and and the the shamers um who who will accuse you of of all kinds of you know heartless 
being compassionate and so on and so forth which of course is 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 completely uh projection as well because anyone who treats you like that is is obviously uh, quite lacking in empathy and compassion themselves um but nevertheless, that, that for me is, is still, you know, still I, I think I hold back a bit from, from really challenging people and saying, well, you know, I mean, just look at the numbers, just look at the bare costs of how this system and what it's going to cost if we don't change it in the next 20 years. It's just going to be unaffordable. I mean, it's just going to collapse. Yeah. It has to collapse. And we're all... You know, and how much do those people who say, oh, you don't care about the poor and put their ideology of this system, how much do they care about the poor if they're sleepwalking off off a cliff, mm. you know? You're starting yeah. a system which is going to leave, you know, God knows, mil- maybe millions of people dispossessed. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that it's gone so far, you know, but people, if, when you look at the well-known free market advocates, whether it's Milton Friedman or anyone, they were hated, they're still hated, That's right. that people That's don't right. like their ideology challenge, okay, perhaps Anne Rand wasn't a very pleasant person, right, you know, I, I believe... Yeah, you know, but but the thing is, people hate them because they challenge this view that the the government can just give people things and and it all it won't have any unintended consequences. But the, this the information necessary. I'm not married to those two figures. I just mentioned them because they're the best known. You know. They gave good information on certain incentive structures and certain elements of economics. Each of them did. I'm not saying any of them was right about everything or anything like that. People hated them. They didn't take the time to listen and understand where they're coming from. And there's no need to hate on someone if they're wrong, you know, and you know they're wrong. You just provide a better analysis. That's right. But whenever you you see these people talked about, it's always in moral terms. They always talk about how horrible those people were. They never actually deal with the nitty-gritty. Rarely ever deal with the nitty-gritty of their argument. Mm. And I'm sorry that it's gone so far simply because there's been an excellent analysis of economics from the Austrians, Ludwig von Mises, F. Hayek, and these are people that people have never heard of. Yeah. All the information has been there. Murray Rothbard was writing all the way through the 20th century. The information has been there. And people either hate on the people who support it or they, they don't bother to read up. They, they listen to, there's this left-wing echo chamber yeah. in academia where everyone's a left-winger or the vast majority of people are. So instead of talking about whether socialism is correct, they're all saying, see, when we have a socialist state, should it be run this way or should it be run this way? Should we do it this way or this way? This imaginary state that doesn't exist, they're, they're debating that. They're debating tiny elements of policy, and they're not actually going to Milton Friedman, Hayek, Rand, 
um, Ludwig von Mises, Murray Rothbard, Tom Woods, an amazing contemporary historian, yeah. Walter, Walter Block, a great economist and um, philosopher, you know, and really studying up these arguments and, um, and, and, you know, you don't have to agree with them, but at least know what you're talking about. You don't have to come out and say, you know, capitalists are pigs and things like that. You can say, well, you know, those advocates of capitalism attest this, but actually, blah, 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 you know, uh, um, you know, be well informed. Be well informed. Don't, don't put ideology before empirical evidence. Yeah, there's, there's certain kinds of habits there. I mean, it's basically intellectual dishonesty. Um, and there's also a great deal of magical thinking and and a lack of just a lack of uh, critical thinking really to to just you know go to the other side of the argument and and hear um, what other people have to say that conflicts with your views it's and it the unusual th and I think the strange thing is of course you know people on the left or the liberal side will accuse others of being closed-minded and you know um, fanatical and yet they won't they won't pick up these books or read these articles um, and in particular uh, I think one of the biggest issues for me when I deal with people like that is that they're not prepared to have a criteria that falsifies what they claim you know you say well yes how can I prove you're wrong you know tell me how I can prove yeah. you're wrong and yes they just don't have an answer to it you know the answer is always well uh, yeah that didn't work but we needed to spend more or uh, you know we need to right. we need to have this policy instead and of course these are just more unfalsifiable uh, retorts basically um, that, that just fuel fuel the fanaticism and the faithiness of these people um, it, and it, it's yes really so I ask I ask um, you know if you are a person on the left first of all I really commend you for listening to the whole hour um, but yeah, please drop us a comment. Say what would you need in order to change your mind and stop supporting government healthcare? Mm. You know, let's have some criteria here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a I think a salient point to uh, start closing um, this uh, program on. Um, I think we've covered all of our points there. I'm just going to check the list there. Um, yeah, I, I think we've done very well. Uh, so thank you, Anthony, for um, engaging me again in conversation and uh, uh, getting over your points really clearly. And, and yeah, hopefully we're not going to come over as uh, completely smug and, and cold-hearted. Um, I certainly th don't think we come over like that. So um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear people's uh, opinions on that as well. Um, and yeah, yeah, once again, thank you for, for giving your time. Thank you for having me on your show again. And uh, I look forward to continuing our partnership. Yeah. There's one more thing I'd like to say to people who are listening, which is whether you like it or not, your healthcare is your responsibility. Even though the NHS is free at the point of entry, your healthcare is still your responsibility. If you do not take care of your health, it's not just money that's at stake. You're going to have a lower standard of living. So, you know, 
a free marketeer might say, you know, your, your healthcare is your responsibility. And you say, well, no, it's the responsibility of the community. It should be provided by the government. Even though it's provided by the government, it's still your responsibility. You're the person who's going to suffer if you don't take care of your health. So, you know, get a juicer, eat, eat more fruit and vegetables, limit consumption of of things that you know that are bad for you you stand to gain you know do 20 minutes stretching a day go out for a bike ride yeah. walk up a, walk up the side of a mountain whatever you enjoy find out a way that you enjoy of looking after your health and do that with your loved ones you know you can make it fun and and we're all responsible for our health care because we're all always the ones who are going to suffer if we don't take care of ourselves yeah, thanks for pointing that out. It's a great, uh, another great closing point. And um, yeah, I, for me, that just brings up quite a bit of sorrow around people in my mm. family that, that have suffered for decades with, with chronic ill health and, and have died prematurely, um, won't be seeing their grandchildren. Um, I mean, the negatives are, you know, just forgetting talking about the money and, and the corruption, just the personal consequences of not caring for yourself are absolutely colossal. That's true. And I feel, I'm sorry to hear that about your family, John. And, you know, I feel there's, there's psychological health there when people don't take care of themselves. And um, it would be nice if there was more awareness of that in our society. And if you know people who don't take care of themselves, please take some time to listen to them with curiosity and not moralize them and hear what it's like for them and where they're coming from and what they're thinking and not 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 to moralize and and to start criticizing them for bad habits but to you know maybe gently challenge them and take a lot of time to listen to what they have to say yeah definitely create a connection with these people and yeah, I th I'm sure yeah. there's, there's probably a program's worth or a piece in there about uh, self-esteem and, and, and uh, so forth and prior traumas and, and all the rest of it. But uh, perhaps another day. Uh, so bye for now. Bye. Thank you for having me on your show, John. Take care and thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Bye for now. I should just mention briefly that I'm working on a short ebook on healthcare from a libertarian perspective. I think it's going to be excellent. It's not far off being completed. So if you'd like to hear about that and get an advanced copy to help me perfect it, go to anthonysamroff.com and download my free ebook, Common Misconceptions About Capitalism Debunked. That will put you on a mailing list and the first people to know when I finish the draft of my book on healthcare will be the people on that mailing list. I'll be sending out an advanced copy. Until next week, be libertarians. Don't be a lefty or a righty.